Is there an easy way to measure our well-being? Is there a biomarker that is indicative of our physiological and psychological condition? The answer is yes. Hi, my name is Vano Hantal and welcome to the X Factor Chats. I'm an executive coach that has spent 25 years studying the human mind and behavior. My co-host Tony Tai will bring us questions about life, well-being and performance and I will try to answer them from the lens of psychology and neuroscience. In today's episode, we are discussing the importance of heart rate variability, shortly HRV, and simple exercises that can improve it. We are going to be talking about HRV, acronym for heart rate variability. We touched upon it last time where um, the physical causes of heart rate uh, variability actually is tied to mental um, <clears throat> mental and physical well-being. Uh, specifically, it was around the topic of resilience. Uh, and I think this is actually pretty interesting because, I mean, I think from a high level, just by the word itself, we can kind of assume what heart rate varies. We know what heart rate means and we know what variability means. So we can kind of guess what that means. But what's interesting is that I've always associated heart rate variability with it's starting from the brain and then transferring itself to the body. So if I'm in a stressful situation, uh, adrenaline will pump through my body and then your heart rate would just go up as opposed to the other way around. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna talk about that today. Um, did you wanna, do you wanna start us off, Banu, by telling us um, how that could or could not be right and then how we would flip that understanding on its head? Yeah. So that's interesting what uh, you're saying. Yes, we always assume there's a connection between brain and the heart. And we assume that relationship is more from the brain to the heart. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's actually kind of opposite. Um, There are neurons in our heart that are identical to our brain. But 90% of those neurons that are located in our heart goes from the heart carrying information to the brain. So the 90% of the neurons in our heart is actually communicating to the brain, not receiving communication. Interesting. And what would those be? Because the thing I would think about is just blood. So blood from our heart goes to our brain. And that would make sense. And what they would transmit is kind of like... We're talking about neurons, nerve cells, right? The nervous system. That's part of the nervous system that is located in your heart. So you have neurons not only in your brain but also in your heart smaller number but you you have a heart intelligence in that sense um a part of your inter you know nervous system is located in your heart and it communicates carries information to the brain about what's happening and it's, it's really fast last time we were talking about the resilience and what determines our Part of what determines our resilience is our body's uh, ability to bounce back after responding to challenges, responding to challenges properly in a physical way, and then going back to the baseline when that threat has gone away, right? In a physically resilient nervous system, we expect the body going back to its baseline quickly and efficiently. But when the resilient is low, it means that the body cannot go back to its baseline. It takes longer or it may not be happening effectively. So 
when we look at the nervous system and you know the response to threats heart is important why because if there's a threat in the environment and we are responding to it we get mobilized right we as hunter gatherers the way we evolved um, is where the threats were physical in nature they were all survival threats means like i need to stay alive and to stay alive i need to either fight that source of threat or run away from it and that mobilization is a physical response i need to physically run away or physically fight yes it, it prepares us it can be a threat fighting or sometimes excitement can do the same thing because excitement also has a survival value is making us go towards something that is gonna help us to survive those are like we're excited for good things and that excitement can mobilize for good things so it's not only at the times of threat but our heart helps us to mobilize our whole body to for a physical output the way it responds to challenges are very important in our survival capacity right a heart that is responsive or a nervous system that is responsive will react to threats and challenges again and the lack of threats so and if it's responding to the environment properly we will see a higher variation between heartbeats that means a heart you know our heart is responding to the environment and as the environment's changing as what we are doing the activity we are doing is changing heart is responding to that it's a responsive nervous system HRV heart rate variability is a very important biomarker because it it is an indicator of our physical and psychological well-being there together um, when you look at the you know uh, correlations of low heart rate variability and health outcomes you see um, it being very strongly correlated with death from coronary diseases cancer diabetes um, and like multiple other also like uh, health problems that you may experience inflammation but we also see it associated with depression mood disorders right we we can improve our heart rate variables there are certain ways to do that and it's very important to know where we are and do the things to improve it if we have we are laying on the lower side so before we get to that why is having a higher or variable heart rate bad for us it means that your our nervous system is not responding to the environment effectively and it means that our body's ability to deal with stressors, uh, physical or emotional stressors, are very low. If you're in fight or flight mode, or sometimes when I'm in stress, like my, my, the amount of focus that I have is, it helps. Wouldn't I want to be in that state all the time? Stress is fine. Stress is low HRV are not the same thing. Yeah, you need to go through stress sometimes and you know, some level of stress can improve the performance, right? Stress is okay and it's adaptive. It is required for survival. In itself, stress is not a bad thing. Chronic stress is a bad thing, meaning that there is an always stress response. Stress response should be 
okay, something happens, I give stress response, but I go back to my baseline, then I'm not giving that stress response. It should be like an emergency situation or attending to the situation. But if you are always under stress, then you are not using the body the way, you know, it was meant to be, right? And it erodes the body's cap capacity to fix itself, to heal itself, to function optimally, and it starts breaking down your resilience, your ability to tolerate the challenges, your responses to those. So it's that constant and long-term stress that is problematic, um, not just like uh, occasional stress, which is fine and it is adaptive, it's helpful. So HRV is a measure of your you know, body's ability to deal with things. So it's a, if you have a low HRV, I would expect even if a small stressor can break you at that moment. Whereas if you have a higher HRV, a higher stress level, you can handle higher stressful situations physically and otherwise. And because of that, athletes use it, for example, to understand when to push for training and when to recover. It's physical stress, right? When you put your body through an uh, intensive training. So, and they measure it uh, every day so that they can understand when it is okay to push your body further and when you need to re recover. Because if you're, and you're measuring it daily and it's at a certain level and then you see dropping one day, it means that your body is not gonna be able to handle a training that way. The, on a regular level. So it means that you need to recover. And athletes know very well, like recovery is a very important part of performance, high performance. You cannot, like with the muscle performance, right? You cannot go and use the same, train the same muscle every day. You need to train it and let it recover. And during that recovery phase, actually, it, it creates that growth and performance. And I think it's similar for knowledge workers from a cognitive perspective in the sense that like you overstretch yourself, you sprint at work and then your HRV drops indicating that your ability to tolerate that kind of work and the stressor is lessened, which means time to recover. It's time to take it easy and it gets low again. You can Go at it again, that's sprint time. So monitoring your HRV also gives the ability to understand when is time to sprint, push things harder, and when to take it easy. And it's, it's a way, you know, everybody's HRV gets higher and lower sometimes. Yeah. And it's, it's helpful to monitor it, to understand how we should pace ourselves, uh, respecting our cycles and the need of our nervous system. So what the environment demands from us does not uh, match to the demands of environment at our, in our day, right? And we feel always like we need to respond to demands from the environment. It's a, you know, it never decreases, always increases. And we forget that we have those cycles that we need to respect of what kind of sprint and recovery. So I think it's a very useful tool to figure that out. So how do you do that? Nowadays, it's pretty easy to uh, measure your HRV. If you have the new Apple phone, it's already in there. 
Uh, it's through the breathing app. If you wake up in the morning, first time in the morning, you activate that breathing app and you breathe for a minute, it automatically measures your HRV and you can find that value um, on your health app. Or you can have Fitbit like other kind of um, gadgets that you can use uh, on your wrist. Or there's like I think chest straps and stuff like that for people who train, physically train. Um, so you can get one of those things and start measuring your HRV every morning upon waking up. Um, for example, my watch measures it resting HRV throughout the day, but don't look at that data because that data doesn't really give us a clear information on things. What we want to know is, you know, as much as possible at the same time upon waking up before you do anything, before you drink coffee, tea, get up, do anything, just in bed, just measure it. So understand the trends of your um, HRV and understanding your limits. Let's see, you, you know, first look, like if it's very low, it puts you in a risk category, I think, then um, it's important to start a regimen to improve HRV levels if you have a low one. And if you don't have a low, like if you are on the averages, uh, still it's good to monitor it because uh, you want to see those days that it drops that tells you take it easy you know it's it's generally high you know high hrv is good but like if you have abnormally high levels that may be indicator of something else but as i think it's more rare many of my clients i i follow their hrv levels oh really yes for like a report from them yeah they they usually keep a spreadsheet um especially if they are in a stressful situation and i'm you know, I'm worried about like the compro uh, compromised uh, ability and also teach them how to regulate themselves initially. Um, at the beginning of the relationship, like when I start working with a client, I like to see that and also do the things to improve uh, their heart rate variability because I think it's crucial for a leader to have a nervous system that is responsive, number one, that recovers easily and get them into a place of safety and calm so that they can actually give, you know, give that state to the, of course, other people and their team, but also make decisions from that place because your decision making skills are compromised when your uh, psychophysiological resilience is low. So I think it's crucial for leaders to be monitoring their HRV le levels and trying to improve it should be something they need to do but for good leadership performance so give me an example so you're give me some examples of that you worked with the clients where their hrv levels have been high case studies in terms of like this is what you saw this is what caused it and this is what we did to work with them so there can be multiple of issues you know things contributing to that um you know for example clients who have a consistent and good exercise regimen tend to have little higher, little better HRV levels than the others. Um, people who are better at emotion regulation um, and have practices like meditation and stuff like that, they have higher um, heart rate variability than others mostly uh, in my experience. 
we're looking at how much time has passed since the last heartbeat. They are exactly the same like a metronome. If it's like a metronome, it's not good. We want change in that. I think low, what lowers our heart rate variability is overstretching ourselves in general. You know, putting our nervous system in situations that cannot handle, that it cannot handle. We are putting too much on a nervous system over its ability. We overstretch ourselves. It can be physically, emotionally, cognitively in every way. And that's, I think, very common in the tech world and the startup world that I see. So you can lower that, uh, your HRV, by overstretching yourself. Not having good enough emotion regulation can do that as well because it's also our thinking patterns putting our bodies in that threat mode. It's how we understand the stories we write about the world can change the nervous system functioning and our threat systems response, right? So that's another thing. Like if your stories are very negative and seeing like everything is threat and they go in line, if you have lower HRV, you're gonna be more prone to do that anyway. But if it's your mental patterns, it's gonna put your uh, nervous system under stress uh, for longer periods of time. So that's also something that I see common with people on uh, low HRV, but also physical problems. Inflammation on the body it can be physically caused as well. If there's inflammation in your, in your body, you know, like these are associations, right? I think inflammation, existence of inflammation can cause your uh, HRV to be lower and low HRV can, you know, create a situation where you get inflamed much more easily, responding to the agents that are inflammatory in a way that you're not, you know, taking care of the body cannot deal with those things. They are, um, so there can be physical also issues that lowers someone's uh, heart rate variability. What's, a, what's an example of a client that you've had where the HRV was low? What was the cause of it and how did you resolve that, help them resolve that? Again, I, I think causes were a combination of things. I'm not trying to find pinpoint the cause of it. Um, what I see that comes with it is that, yeah, being in, you know, feeling stressed out constantly and having low energy, low engagement, um, being triggered much more easily, being more judgmental about themselves and people, you know, having a short fuse, um, not being able to recover when they would come from work home, like they, they could not relax and recover when they are at home and doing other stuff. Um, so these were the type of things that I would see common and uh, clients with low HRV. And what we did was to do the things that improves it. So we would monitor it and make sure that we are improving that, you know, heart rate variability and our physical and psychological resilience. Yeah, I guess I'm trying to get to, um, have you seen any drastic shifts in HRV after, like when, you, when they've changed the way that they think about themselves or changed the way that they approach it or is it kind of like a gradual thing it's like going to the gym it's not like all of a sudden your hrv becomes completely something different hrv levels no it's like going to the gym have you go to the gym and train so that your muscles grow you know we need to treat our nerves like that as well so there is a key nerve um, 
that is associated with her heart rate variability, which is uh, called the vagus nerve. And vagus nerve is a very important nerve, and it's like, um, we call it vagal break. We talked about how heart rate increases when we are dealing with a challenge or a threat, right? And when the threat is gone, to go back to our baseline, we need to lower the heart rate, and vagal break is doing that. Vagal break is something that puts the brake on the heart and slows it down. That's a nerve, right? And the condition of that brake is obviously very important in its ability to slow it down or not. So the vagal tone, we refer it as a vagal tone. If you have a good vagal tone, when you press the brake, it stops the car. But if you don't, if your the brakes in your car is not working effectively, you you know, you, you press on the brake, what happens? It doesn't stop the car effectively, right? So you need to make sure you have good brakes and you can tone that nerve through some physiological exercises. Here, it's not, I'm not talking about the mental exercise, I'm talking about physical exercises that you do. It's like going to the gym and then getting your vagal tone better. Uh, and that, that's important part of that regimen I use with the clients um, to make sure that we start with the physical exercises and then we go to also the emotion regulation exercises afterwards. Um, and the simplest, easiest way to improve your resilience, very easy, you can do it two minutes every day and it will drastically improve, long exhale. So every time you exhale, the wiggle break goes in and slows down the heart rate every time you exhale. You inhale, heart rate increases, you exhale, heart rate decreases because the vagal break is on through exhaling. If I want to use, like think of that vagal break as a muscle, if you want to improve that muscle, what do you need to do? The more you use it, the stronger it's going to become. And if every time I exhale, I'm using it, what does that mean? If I keep my exhale longer, I'm going to be exercising it to stay on longer, therefore building it. And every time we exhale, we are activating that nerve and the more we exercise it, it gets stronger. Think about it that way. And because of that, we wanna exhale longer than we inhale. So let's try it together. The way I start is with the, like a ratio of four to six. That's a good starting point. So you inhale in four counts, you go in one, two, three, four, and you exhale in six. One, two, three, four, five, six. And how empty should your lungs be when you exhale? Because I'm trying to like do it at a pace where it's like, because there's a point where it's empty and I keep on pushing beyond that, right? You wanna pace it out. So pursing your lips can help you to regulate it so that you don't like and then yeah, you're there right. then it's not an exhale right you right. want to stay in the exhale position as long as you can right um we usually start with my clients at four to six ratio and then quickly test like are they if they are comfortable to 47 then we go to 47 if they are comfortable to 48 then we keep it at 48 so we can change the ratio as we get more comfortable with the long exhale. 
usually people keep a practice around four eight but for people who are beginning it may be too much because you don't want to exhale to a level that it stresses your heart like if you're out of breath and if you're coming like this afterwards means that it's too much for you at that point in time yes you don't want to go there that's why i'm like do four six for a while if you're comfortable and if you feel like you can comfortably do four eight then go to uh, four seven and then four eight then do that gradually um and if at any time you feel like it's stressing you out it's you're gasping for air afterwards and your heart rate increases because of that then it means that you're overdoing it, it means go go back to that ratio you're comfortable with you should be able to do this comfortably and you can start doing this just for two minutes and there are studies actually uh on the decision making skills using this technique uh they did it with a group two minutes of long exhale practice before a decision making task uh, business decision making task and control group didn't do that practice they just watched the video and the group that has done this two minute exercise had more correct answers on that decision making uh, business decision making situation so it improves your decision making even just doing it two minutes right before it and this is not like a long practice i'm talking about so it's very useful to use it during our day to get to a place like do it two minutes so that we increase uh we change our, our state then that's the short-term use of it but i think the long-term perspective on it is do it regularly so that you improve your vagal tone which is going to be regulating your body which is going to improve your heart rate variability over time so i i recommend everyone to do it every single day um, and for people who doesn't like to sit down and doing breathing exercises there are other ways of doing it which i use those formats more for myself singing is one of them because yeah. singing forces us to exhale you inhale and then you need to exhale for a long time especially if you're singing difficult songs i sing terribly but luckily people around me puts up with that they are okay with that uh, so yeah i even um i'm even using this app to like do the vocal trainings so that i make sure like i'm i'm doing it it's more fun for me and i'm just signing up for a singing online again i can't sing but i think it's a for me it's a more fun way of exercising my vagus nerve and improve my heart rate variability um Another way of doing it is playing wind instruments. If anybody wants to pick up a new instrument, I think wind instrument is a great uh, option because it forces your breath. Um, swimming was for me also something that allowed me to do a long exhale when I had the option to do that. Because when you're swimming, you breathe in and you're trying to be efficient with that breath right and if you're not instead of holding it if you are releasing slowly um then you can use it like a breathing uh exercise and exercising your vagus nerve i think i've learned quite a bit today about the hr uh the heart rate variability yeah i think it's a it's like a very small investment and it has tremendous um benefit to our like physical and psychological well-being like you just breathe 
you exhale a little longer time for a little bit, you know, like just do it two day, you know, minutes a day. And I think you're better off and especially doing it before important conversations, before important decisions, before work, after you finish working, you want to go back socializing. I think just implanting these two minutes, um, is very easy, but also like amazing ROI. Yeah, I mean, if it's a good way to help switch the way you think, because sometimes you're in a mode and just switching your brain is a very tough and exhausting thing to do. Like uh, when I work and I have like eight hours of meetings, my mind always has to switch to the next meeting and I am exhausted by the end of it. So yeah, this will help your nervous system recover a little bit after that intensive, you know, draining period. And also uh, before we close, like I, I want to make the point that to again improve our psychophysiological resilience and heart rate variability um, it's important to monitor ourselves and not overstretch and overstrain again doing the analogy with the physical training when athletes if they overtrain overstrain a muscle they make themselves uh, what do you call it vulnerable for injuries it doesn't help their performance their performance drop on top of it, they, they, yeah, they are exposed to, you know, um, injuries that is going to be very problematic for them. And it is the same thing for a knowledge worker from a performance perspective, but we don't recognize that the, you know, our cognitive, emotional, uh, mental, social performance is similar to our physical performance. So we need to make sure that we are not putting ourselves in, in that kind of vulnerable situation by over stretching ourselves, you know, over committing ourselves, not recovering enough. And what is the injury that we see around? Burnout, everybody is injured, but nobody is understanding like there's something wrong here, right? Like if it's so prevalent, obviously there's something wrong. And burnout is also a psychophysiological problem showing that your nervous system is at a state that cannot respond to it to that level anymore and it's it's serious warning signs i mean what makes it really tough and what, what i think our conversation why it's useful in our conversation is that i think it's often hard for people to gauge and measure i mean we're talking about taking care of ourselves but i mean it's a very subjective thing right um but doing this at least having something to measure against would help us tremendously um and then once you, I mean, just like anything else, we're looking for something that has some sort of guardrails. And then after that, it, you, the art comes to kind of understanding yourself, like what is too much, what is not, and when should become part of you, right? Yeah, and I, I think it's important for us to realize the physiological basis of our cognitive and emotional and social well-being. We, we assume that what happens in our brain happens in our brain, and then we have physical health and they have nothing to do each other. It's not like that, right? So we are looking at the variation in up the time between heart rates and it tells us our psychological, also emotional resilience levels, you know? So we have those things that monitor, as you were saying, if we have these biomarkers, it allows us to, you know, monitor it. And if we can monitor it, we can see what improves it and what makes it worse. And it gives kind of like this guideline. Well, thank you, Banu. That was incredibly informative. There's some pretty good actionable things we could take away from this. Um, 
Yeah, so everybody else out there, uh, your mind and heart are connected. Um, yeah. We say that metaphorically, but even physically now we know. Yeah, exactly. Are you going to start measuring your heart rate variability, Tony? I will be, yeah. I'm going to be looking at the apps. I'm, I mean, I, I know how to measure heart rate, but heart rate variability is a big thing. So now that I'm going to look at that, it's difference. And now that I know the difference, it's something I'm going to consider. For sure. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share our podcast if you enjoyed our conversation. New episodes air every Friday afternoon on your favorite podcast platform.